And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 190 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time for recording 11.11am. I am your host Matt Neglia on April 19th, 2020. Here to join me today to talk about all the latest news and developments in the Hollywood system as well as what could be possibly happening with award season this year. I have Michael Schwartz. Hello everyone. Amanda Spears. Hello. Rebecca Daniel. Hey. Dan Bear. Good morning, everyone. And for those of you that don't know, um, and for those of you who do that have been with us since the very beginning, we have a returning, reigning, defending champion. Now, <laughs> it is <laughs> Mr. Will Navity. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's good to hear your voice once again, sir. I believe last time you uh, joined us was. Was it Oscar predictions or was it Oscar reactions? I think it was Oscar reactions. Oscar reactions, yeah. Yeah, when you were in my apartment at like 5 a.m. Yeah, so it's <laughs> been it's been a minute uh, since then for sure. Uh, but we're happy to have you back. For those of you that don't know, um, Will's been in law school uh, all this time. He's going to be our very own Tom Hagen uh, one day. And so <laughs> he's uh, working his ass off. And that's why you probably haven't heard him on the show in a little bit. But we're happy that he's here with us today. Um, and in typical uh, fashion, I want to actually just start us off by uh, asking everyone what they uh, have been catching up on at home. So, uh, Will, why don't we actually start off with you? Are there any movies during quarantine or anything along those lines, TV shows, whatever it might be, uh, that you've uh, watched in the last week or two? Yeah, I had never seen Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility before. And Ooh. I watched it with my parents last night. Wonderful movie. I mean, gorgeous to look at. Some of those shots are stunning. And uh, Kate Winslet is like a baby. It's it's hilarious. She's so young. Uh, but no, it's 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 a wonderful movie. It's a shame Lee wasn't nominated for Best Director that year. And it's a blind spot from the 90s Oscar years. I'm glad I finally took care of. Nice. Awesome. Great choice. I mean, that that is a really, really fantastic movie. And uh, definitely at a time where Ang Lee was at the height of his uh, creative powers, for sure. Amanda, uh, what about yourself? What have you been catching up on the last week? Well, um, I got bored. So I rewatched The Hunger Games, all of the four movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> God, those Love things it. suck. They should have really just made one movie out of that last book. I was going to say, because I remember the first two being really good and the last two not as good. And no. I'm just curious, like, so it still doesn't hold up well on a rewatch? Uh, I mean, and a binge watch, kind of, because I'm watching them back to back. But I would say, like, again, like, for such a, a film that started off so great, to really try and suck two movies out of one story wasn't really necessary 
I mean, I don't know at what point will, uh, you know, Hollywood filmmakers realize that that's usually not the right move. Um, <laughs> Divergent. Divergent. The fact we never saw part two. It's true. Wasn't one yeah. of them released on cable or wasn't that the plan? No, yeah, the plan yeah, was, was to release it on cable it. and it just never happened. Wow. And then I also started watching hashtag black. AF on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of talk about that. Fucking hilarious. Like, the creator of uh, Blackish, and it, it kind of overlaps a little, but it it's just, she is just so good as this mom who once was a lawyer and now just manages her six kids. It's hilarious. She's so good. I love her so much in this. I saw this thing online about it where it's like every single title, uh, uh, episode title is like X, Y, and Z because of slavery. Oh, this is because of slavery too. Oh, you guessed yeah. it. It's because of slavery. That's <laughs> like, geez, what is this show? <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like um, blackish where they're all like, okay, we're going to talk about we're, we're trying to be serious. You You see all the other characters like in the room like here we go. Oh, God. Even his kids are like, come on, Dad. Like, please stop. But it's still good? Still worth watching? Yeah, it's worth the watch. I mean, especially now when there's so little out there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So I am enjoying it. I haven't finished it. Cool. Nice. All right. Let's hear now from Michael. Michael, what have you been catching up on over the last week? Uh, again, just a lot of TV. I know uh, Matt and I have talked a lot about Ozark, which I'm totally hooked on. Oh. I'm making my way through the third season. Laura but, fucking Lenny. Uh, seriously, she is unreal. She is uh, the best, best of her, her career. career. So that is just you know, a total ride. But over on the film side, uh, last week I mentioned that I was falling down the Disney Plus rabbit hole again. And uh, that continued into this week when I decided to go back and watch a movie that I saw probably only once, maybe twice during my childhood. I uh, have very vague memories of it, aside from like the trailer, which I remember playing over and over again before other Disney movies. Uh, I watched for the first time in well over 20 years, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, it's so good. Ooh. That's oh, my, my favorite Disney movie. It's my second favorite. It is incredible. Uh, there's something with my history of Disney movies that I've seen pretty much all of them, the animated films. Uh, but I have such fondness for the beginning of the Disney re Renaissance, like your Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin era. And then going all the way back to like your Snow White, Pinocchio's, uh, Dumbo's, all those older movies. That's something about the mid 90s, like your Hunchback, Mulan and Hercules. I've seen them, but they never played a huge role in my life. Like I saw them once or twice. I'm like, OK, I can move on now. So going back to revisit this one just proved to me that it's every bit as good as, you know, those early 90s films. It is just a magnificent piece of animation. This is not a surprise to anyone, but it was just a nice revelation for me to see again. And the songs, the animation, the storytelling, the scope, it is just a magnificent film. And it's right there on Disney Plus for everyone to see. Yeah. Um, and that score uh, is an all-timer. It's so good. So Lyrics good. by Stephen Trish. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the one that Demi Moore voiced? Yes. 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 Yeah. Tom Hulse as well. Oh Hulse. my God! And then uh, who who was Frollo? Oh, uh, oh, he died. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Tony J. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God! His Hellfire number is like oh God, so good. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> when it started, I forgot that it was Tony J. For some reason, I was thinking it was F. Murray Abraham in like an Amadeus reunion. In all honesty, if they were going to do a live action Hunchback of Notre Dame today, F. Mary Abram would be like 
perfect casting as yeah, Judge yeah. Buffrolo. I really <laughs> thought it was him until I went to Wikipedia. Yeah. You should. You gotta have uh, what's his face, Tywin Lannister. My mind's going blank. Charles Dance. Charles oh, that's Dance. a good one too. Dance. Yeah. That would be very good. Yeah, I think. Um, well, I'm just waiting for the inevitable live action remake with Ben Platt as Quasimodo. Oh, <laughs> you know it's coming. <laughs> it's it's gonna happen. Of course, it's gonna happen. But uh, yeah, this this was a wonderful film and uh, easily top ten Disney. And I'm glad I revisited it after many 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 years because it is a great film. Awesome. Uh, Rebecca, what about yourself? I have been catching up on some TV. I've been watching Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. Oh, Ryan, thanks you for your service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. <laughs> uh, it is good. Um, I also rewatched The Aviator. That is one of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies. Show me all the blueprints. Show me exactly. all the blueprints. Exactly, yeah. We say that all the time <laughs> in my house. Um, I think it's kind of fitting right now with the whole quarantine thing. Like, that's a big theme in the movie, so I felt like it was yeah. appropriate. <laughs> so, no. I also caught up on a couple movies that have been kind of blind spots for me. I watched uh, Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks. Nice. And I, I oh, liked yes. it. I thought it was so good. good. The cinematography and uh, the score by Thomas Newman. That's I, like, whew. It's gorgeous. He is so talented. Honestly, I don't know how he didn't win back then for uh, that score in 2002. So uh, Weinstein gave free to his full backing, and that that killed a lot mm. of worthy winners in different categories, including score that year. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, at least Conrad L. Hall got that posthumous uh, Oscar win because, oh, like I said, the, his work on that movie is still something that resonates with me to this day. Gorgeous. Some of the images in that film are just iconic. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really underrated movie. It is. I'm surprised I haven't seen it until now, but I'm really glad I watched it. And it's on Netflix, so boom, everyone can watch it now. There you go. Uh, Dan Baer. Uh, I have also been doing a lot of TV watching. Um, if y'all haven't listened to our podcast episode on Mrs. America, please yes. do. Well, watch it and then do, unless you prefer to do it the other way around. Um, because it's just stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, binged all three episodes that they released on Hulu, and just like I cannot wait for more. Um, that, my God, I, I, God, so good. I am chomping at the bit for the final episode of uh, the season of Better Call Saul, which Nat and I have talked about, and like. If you're not watching it, I mean, it's it's definitely at least on the level of Breaking Bad, if not better now. Like, it's this season has been incredible. No arguments from me there. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, um, I've been doing I have. So I was off work this week and my sleeping patterns got all screwed up. And so I spent a lot of time like very late at night slash early mornings flipping through things like what can I put on that I can fall asleep to? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which, which basically means like movies, either movies that I have seen so many times that I don't, I won't force myself to stay awake through them and movies that are just like gentle and sweet and aren't too loud that I don't particularly care about. Um, so I rewatched a lot of movies that I 
know and love. Um, so what's the list? Um, I watched Julia and Julia, Julia and Julia for like the five millionth time because that movie is One a delight. One of my favorites. Uh, uh, rewatched Babe, which is just, I mean, the fact that this is still the high water mark of live action talking animals 25 years <laughs> later is amazing to me. But also, it's just the best movie and the strangest best picture nominee of the 90s and so good and should have won. Yeah, um, I have to ask you, you like Babe. Do you like Babe Pig in the City as well? George Miller, I maybe. do like Babe Pig in the City. Or like I did the last time I saw it, which was... I think it's great. I think they're both tremendous yeah. in their own unique ways. Yeah, they're very, very different movies from each other. But yeah, uh, I enjoy both of those movies. Um, and the big one that I guess sort of, <laughs> I the I rewatched um, Chocolat for the first time since it came out. A lot of Harvey Weinstein mentions on this podcast today. <laughs> I, I look the it's fine. I think five Oscar nominations is entirely too many. Over almost famous and Billy Elliot too. You know, it's astonishing I, that it got in. Yeah, I I mean like there's just there's just nothing there. I mean it's you know, it's I mean whatever and Alfred Molina's worst performance by a long shot, I think. Whew. And that's a guy who doesn't really turn in bad performances, if ever. So yeah, I mean, and that's a large part of it. But just like, oh god. Um, and I've uh, seen that movie. I will I've seen say that movie though, once Johnny Depp in his prime, like he is a fucking snack in that movie. <laughs> and would you say that he tastes god, as uh, good as chocolate? <laughs> yes. God bless whoever did his hair, makeup, costuming. It's. It's lovely. For the record, Johnny Depp is now on Instagram. Oh. I can live without that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Always Whenever I think of Chocolat, I've only seen it once, but the only thing I remember about it isn't even from that movie. It's from the movie I Love You, Man. Yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, oh, good- yeah. And also, uh, other podcast shout out. Uh, watched Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys for the first time, actually, which I don't think I mentioned on our podcast review. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Listen to that for to hear my full thoughts. Awesome. Uh, I'll keep mine very brief because my uh, watching is still extremely brief as of right now. Um, I'm doing I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to up my game a little bit. Uh and a little bit of news, though, uh, the Tribeca uh, Film Festival has taken a lot of their uh, programming online. Uh, so over the next month or so, um, I should be watching a lot of um, indie uh, films that, you know, I'm hoping will make some sort of an impression on me. Um, full disclosure, Tribeca is typically not my favorite film festival, uh, but you do get one or two hidden gems in there every now and then amongst all the middling to not so great movies that usually play there. Uh, But I'm really, really happy that at least the film festival is uh, finding a way to still continue in some form or another. So hopefully I'll be able to catch up on some more stuff uh, through that. I did rewatch 12 Monkeys, uh, which didn't hold up as well for me on a rewatch this time around. You can hear my thoughts on the podcast review, as Dan Baer said. Uh, 
what else did I watch? I also watched, um, as I uh, mentioned before, there's some television shows, Better Call Saul, I'm watching on a weekly basis, and I agree with Dan. It's at a point now where it's on the level of Breaking Bad in terms of quality, and it is just stupendous. I, anyone that ever gave up on that show, um, I, I really, really think that they are missing out on something that's really, really, really special at this time. If Bray Seahorn doesn't finally win a goddamn Emmy. Just get her nominated. The win, okay, fine. But, like, yeah. nomination, needs it. please. Needs it. Um, and then I'm watching Westworld on a weekly basis, which has been... I like it. I, 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 I'm I not in love with it, but I it's like it at least. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Aaron Paul was a great addition to that cast. I agree. I, I definitely agree. And I love that they hit the re the reboot button this year. It feels like an entirely new show, and I'm really digging it. Uh, I know a lot of people also gave up on that show a lot, but I really, really think that they are trying something different, something very unique. So that's worth checking out as well. And... I rewatched <laughs> my roommates uh, were watching 22 Jump Street. So I uh, oh very, gosh. very gleefully uh, <laughs> plopped myself down and watched that uh, while it was playing. And oh, my God, is that movie so smart, clever and hysterically funny uh, in terms of how it makes fun of sequels? If you guys yeah. have not ever seen oh, yeah. 21, 22 Jump Street, uh, they're just brilliant yeah. comedies. It and really, really funny. Outside of Foxcatcher, it's Channing Tatum's highest uh, mark in his career, in my opinion, because it's like one of those things like with like Mark Wahlberg, for example, you know, it's like once the world discovered that Mark Wahlberg could do comedy, I felt like he really kind of found his place a little bit more, if you will. And I feel the same way with like Channing Tatum, where it's like Hollywood was trying to make him happen as an action uh blockbuster leading man star and it just wasn't working and then in comes 21 22 jump street and it's like god i freaking love channing tatum all of a sudden <laughs> you know so and jonah hill is hysterical all the time that goes without saying i, I remember seeing that uh in theaters back like six years ago at this point and i vividly remember just hysterically cracking up during one scene i won't spoil it when queen latifah shows up yep uh, oh that's the best <laughs> yeah no, that, that was what I was going to say. I, I think that is maybe the hardest. I, and then the follow-up to that scene involving Channing Tatum, I think is maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater. Oh, I, I cried, cried during uh, Ice Cube's seed with Jonah Hill, where he can't believe that he slept so with good. his daughter. And he's just staring at him during that dinner sit-down scene. We are trying to, to talk around it so it didn't spoil it for someone. That's what we're referring It's okay. If you guys haven't seen it by this point, shame on you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I will still go around quoting that Cape Blanchett line from from Twenty Two Jump Street. Oh yeah, yeah. Cart Blanchett. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was like Cape Blanchett wasn't in Twenty Two Jump Street. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of which, um, also to another podcast plug, uh, did watch Mrs. America first three episodes. That is uh, something that we're doing for next best series right now as far as podcast reviews are concerned for television. So if you guys want to get our thoughts on that miniseries, uh, you can definitely listen to that as well. And it's pretty good so far. I'm not as over the moon about it as uh, some others are on the show, but that's okay because I still like it. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the good, good category. Uh, and I think it's going to get better as it progresses. I just think it needed to... Uh, you know, establish itself, set its set its world up, its characters, and it was a little slow out of the gate, but I think it's going to really, really start to um, 
achieve a, a higher status that's going to make it a definite Emmy contender this year for sure. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how <laughs> it works. And now, uh, with that said, uh, some bit of news this week. Uh, we got our first look at Dune. With Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, uh, like a whole slew of others. It's got a fantastic cast. Um, what did you all think of the first impressions, the images that were released, and what are your expectations for Denis Villeneuve's next film? Uh, there's not much to go on. Well, Vanity Fair did a whole piece on it. I mean, I don't know. It looks good. The pictures look good. Somebody didn't read the Vanity Fair article. <laughs> I remain unenthused. I'm not a huge fan of Dune, so I'm just kind of like it it exists. It looks good. I trust Denis Villeneuve and that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's got a very very washed out drab look. Um you know, I, I'm excited for it, obviously. I, I think some of the costuming choices are maybe a little weird, but uh, at least in those pictures they've released. But I'm intrigued. I mean, the cast is amazing. But I don't – I'm not as big a fan of – it's early in the morning. What's his DP on this? Greg Frazier. Yeah, I'm not as big a fan of Greg Frazier as some are. And I, I am a little concerned that – as a DP, he might be something of a step down uh, from what we've been used to between Bradford Young and Roger Deakins with Villeneuve stuff. Um, he, he's yet to, Frazier's yet to really blow me away. And so some of those images with like a very washed out aesthetic, I know someone went semi-viral on Twitter and then also got roasted by all the Dune fans for saying, oh good, I thought Dune was going to be fun, or I was afraid Dune was going to be fun. Um, you know, I think that's an overreaction, but there is something about those images that just, there, there's a dry flatness to it, but obviously those are like seven images and we need to see a trailer. I, I remain excited. My only concern it also is that with every Denis Villeneuve movie, it's like he actively chooses mediocre screenplays so he can have a lot to play with and elevate them. And I think this is going to be a very script and story heavy film. And he won't be able to fall back on that as much. John Spaves being a co-writer on it definitely concerns me. But Eric Roth, though, is the uh, first credited writer for it. And, you know, Munich, Curious Case, Benjamin Button, The Insider. Forrest Gump. Forrest yeah. Gump. Yep. Oscar winner uh, for that. Uh, Star is Born. Uh, I think there's some potential there. Fair. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm going to come to the defense of Greg Frazier ever so briefly here for a minute and just say I think Bright Star is a really well shot oh, film. Oh, my God. Yes. And I mean, uh, Rogue One was a very unique looking Star Wars film, even if the movie itself wasn't my favorite. I still liked a lot of the images in that. And um, I, his work in Let Me In, Zero Dark Dirty. He, he's an above average DP. But he doesn't have this, the masterful images. Like, I've never seen a Greg Frazier movie. Like, Lion is another one that's that's pretty good looking. But I've never seen a Greg Frazier movie where just the images really grab me the way a Bradford Young or a Roger Deakins film do. I mean, that's he, fair. He, he is above average, but I think he tends more towards the workmanlike than those two do. Well, Dune is still holding true to its December release, and uh, we'll have to wait and see if it's able to, uh, you know, maintain that as everything uh, continues with coronavirus. I was going to say, I'm a little curious to see how Timothee Chalamet does in this, because I think he's been surrounded by really great actors, and I still haven't been wowed yet by one of his performances. I think that if it's a moody part, well, I'll go with the word moody. Um, I think the king was a fair indication that he could pull off um, that kind of a tone, if you will. But I still don't think he was good in the king. I think that you know he kind of lost the movie to Robert Pattinson, who had like two scenes. Mm. Wait, you, was you didn't think great. he was good in Call Me by Your Name? I thought he was okay, but I I just I didn't. It was just so I don't think he's like to me earns all the praise he's gotten so far. Where like. I don't think he's like, oh, my God, he's the next Leo. I'm like, mm, I'm he is great. the next Leo in the sense that I I wholeheartedly believe this still to this day. I think Call Me By Your Name is his what's eating Gilbert Grape. And I think then, you know, he has his Man in the Iron Mask beach, uh, you know, phase of like performances where critics are just like, eh, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think Dune, um, I'm not saying Dune's going to be as Titanic. I'm not saying that. Uh, but what I am saying is that I do feel like Timothy Chalamet is on the verge of exploding more into the mainstream and in a way that's going to put him up there in that respectable uh, actor ca- category. I don't believe he's ever going to go blockbuster leading man status. Um but I do believe that he will be uh, like Leo, follow a trajectory of just respected roles will be given to him as he matures and, you know, uh, grows uh, both as a human being and as an actor. I haven't been wowed yet. So, I mean, like I was wowed by Jerome. Jerome. I haven't had that. Oh, my God. He's he can do anything kind of when they see us. Seeing those pictures, I can say I'm really looking forward to do. And it's just not a movie that excites me very much. But when I of saw course. Timothy. Yeah. yeah, well. When I saw Timothy Chalamet and Stephen McKinley Henderson, I did get excited for a Lady Bird reunion. Of course. (laughs) All right. Other developments. Reed Morano, uh, DP turned director, uh, is in talks to direct Jennifer Lopez in The Godmother uh, for STX Films. Uh, This is obviously uh, hot off of Jennifer Lopez's. um, Depends how you want to view it. I'll, I'll call it successful. Uh, run uh, with Hustlers because that movie did make a ton of money. She was in the Oscar conversation despite the fact that she did not get the nomination. I don't think that's the be-all, end-all, and that should not mitigate the success that she was able to bring to STX Films with that movie. So um, I'm excited for this because I still think that Reed Morano has potential as a director, um, even though if it hasn't been fully realized on the big screen yet outside of The Handmaid's Tale on television. What do you guys think? 
I worry I mean, that sounds Gail- exciting. Like it sounds like an exciting project, but you know, she directed the rhythm section, right? She did. Yeah, but yeah. that may have just been a bad script. I think it was, it was a bad script. Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah, and she was pulling the what she was interested in that what she was interested in in that script was not what the script was most interested in. So it was this like dissonance between the movie that she was making and the movie that was written. Right. So it was and, just a complicated situation. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say in general, I think sometimes Directors who make their debuts and it doesn't work out well are branded as bad directors because they had bad luck with a poor script. And while mm-hmm. they do have a role in choosing it, I, I think it's directors sometimes get an unfair amount of blame for a project that has a poor screenplay and in the inverse get too much praise for choosing a good one. And, and so I, I, I'm not going to, because now she's had two films, three films. I didn't see her Peter Dinklage film at Sundance, but I know it was considered kind of middling. But, you know, it, it may be too soon to say she's a bad director and doesn't translate. She just needs the right script to prove herself. I mean, over the years, how many years did um, Brian Singer coast on landing a really good script from Chris McQuarrie for The Usual Suspects? Or Colin Trevorrow benefited from picking the right script for Safety Not Guaranteed. And Mark Webb picked somebody else's really good script for 500 Days of Summer. And I, I don't think that was indicative of their talent as a director so much as it happened to be that they got the right script. Yeah, I definitely think you're right there. Uh, this comes from uh, Variety, where they're saying that uh, the Godmother is going to be uh, following uh, drug lord Griselda Blanco. Um, it follows the story, uh, the, her life story of uh, how she outsmarted and outhustled the men around her to rise from an impoverished childhood in Colombia to become one of the world's biggest drug lords. She was reportedly wor- worth more than $2 billion and was a key figurehead in Miami's cocaine cowboy wars. Uh, she was murdered in Colombia in 2012. See, I think Spoilers. this sounds like it would be a more interesting limited series, but I also worry that J-Lo has now gotten to this point where she's trying to chase an Oscar nomination. Mm. Oh, it's very apparent that she wanted it last year, so I don't think you're far off the mark there, Amanda. And that can turn people off. Like, Army Hammer is chasing it. It's very, very obvious now that since that, that didn't work out, she's, like, chasing it. But it sounds interesting. I think it might be a better limited series, personally, than trying to fit this whole thing into one movie. But, you know, if you're chasing an Oscar and it's baity enough, like Gary Oldman, it'll still work out. I mean, he yeah. had a personal baggage of being prickly which sometimes J-Lo's been accused of, he very clearly wanted an Oscar and he took the world's most baity part and he won an Oscar. So, you know, it, it does work out sometimes. Sure, sure. And then, Will, I saw you uh, talk about this uh, story the other day. Uh, Jamie Foxx is uh, helming a faith-based drama called When We Pray, uh, <laughs> which he is co-writing the script uh, with Donald Ray uh, Caldwell on. 
And uh, he plans to direct this movie as well. The plot is about two brothers who become pastors at different churches in the same community. Uh, One brother develops his church into a modern high-tech congregation that uses digital devices and ATMs, while the other follows a humbler uh, path but soon finds his church in decline in in need of financial help. That is reported by Deadline. And what was this, Will, about Jamie Foxx having a directorial debut that hasn't seen the light of day? Yeah, so Jamie Foxx finished filming his actual directorial debut, All-Star Weekend, which co-starred Robert Downey Jr., among other people, um, a year and a half ago. It was supposed to be released last January, and it sat on a shelf. And I thought that was weird. And Ryan McQuaid pointed out to me, apparently, that it, it, it has Robert Downey Jr. playing a Hispanic guy and it's like Tropic Thunder, except there's no element of I'm satirizing insensitive actors who do brownface. Instead, it's just Robert Downey Jr. doing brownface. So um, I, I, I don't hmm. know that it will ever see the light of day. And it's a bit alarming. Uh, this is definitely a weird angle for Jamie Foxx to take on top of that as his director, as a director, just because... I, I didn't know he was devoutly Christian, and this is very clearly in more of the, if not quite that extreme, the God's Not Dead tank of the world. So I don't know. And then Michael pointed out, Michael, do you want, do you want to give you a little spiel on Jamie Foxx's career? Yeah, Jamie Foxx has had so many ups and downs since that Oscar win all of 16 years ago. You know, he won for Ray, well-deserved, great performance. And then he's, you know, he didn't really stop acting, but he turned his career into more music focused. And he had these albums coming out in like the late 2000s. We all remember that. Then he went back to Oscar World with Django Unchained, wasn't nominated, but the movie was a big hit like we all remember. And then disappears for a little while. I just learned this last year. He's been doing a show on Fox for three seasons called Beat Shazam, (laughs) which is a show where contestants Mm -hmm. literally have to like beat Shazam as in the music app to finding out what song is playing. It's the silliest thing. He's been doing that. He's been a guest judge on the mask singer. It's like, this is an Oscar winning actor who's like doing and he's shows continued on Fox to release and music albums. Too. Yeah. He still puts out albums. Then he randomly gets a SAG nomination last year and is starring in a Pixar movie. Now doing this faith-based drama. It's like, what is this guy's career even doing? He's a talented guy, but I just don't understand the ups and downs in the various directions. Cause sometimes he'll hit a high and, Sometimes they'll just, you know, go off into obscurity and be doing stuff on network television that no one even knows about. Or doing movies like Robin Hood and Sleepless. <laughs> I think the yes. problem is, is that he wants to be famous more than he cares about being taken seriously as an actor. Yeah. yeah. And the, which is really sad because he has the goods as an actor, like as he more than proved in Just Mercy last year. And Agreed. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And in Horrible Bosses. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him in Horrible Bosses. <laughs> oh my God. Never forget. And Baby Driver, too. Let us never forget 2009 when he tried to have his the costume come back with the soloist. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. I don't know if everyone thought Dowdy was going to win for that. Yeah. That was a trip. Let's think in Dreamgirls to save his life. Nope. But he can sing in real life, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I'm looking through his filmography here. He was actually very funny in Baby Driver, which was only three years yeah. ago. Yeah. You just have to like space it out, and occasionally you'll get a good one. Like Soul looks like it'll be very good when it comes out in November. Maybe that'll you know do something. But 
I don't know. I, I don't have faith in all these weird projects. You've got to have faith, Michael. Yeah. By his well. film. <laughs> well, Beat Shazam no. has ruined it. All right. So speaking of middling career choices, let's turn our attention and focus over to director Josh Trank now for a moment, shall we? <laughs> oh, Josh Trank, the Internet's uh, favorite punching bag. Um, we have to. <laughs> yes, because it's the first trailer that we have received in, and I don't know how long for any kind of a movie, oh, starring an Oscar-nominated actor that is going straight to VOD, and for all we know, this could be this year's Joker. <laughs> you never know. God, you never know. Uh, well, if the Oscars go through, it could be Best Actor winner. Exactly. So let's take a look at the trailer for Capone, starring Tom Hardy as, well, you guessed it, Al Capone. Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe that could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. You got goons walking around. Guys like you own this place, $10 million. Maybe I can get him to talk. He's gonna go on a rampage. We made a promise. Someday we was gonna make it big. The only thing that really matters is how I'm treats his family. I had no idea he directed this. I just saw the trailer and was so turned off by that, I didn't even bother looking up who was behind it. But it all makes perfect sense now. It's a horribly cut trailer. Horribly oh cut. Goodness. Horribly. I'm not, not even sure it. what it's about. I thought it was a joke. Like, it almost looked like an SNL uh, skit, if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> it's bad. I, uh, okay. Taking a step back here for a moment. I think Tom Hardy is going to give it his all. I think Tom Hardy's going to really, really go for it. I think the film around him is going to be an unbelievable mess. I mean, I can't even tell you from the trailer itself what it is that they are trying to convey as far as, like, the story itself goes. Like, wh like I know that this is taking place um, after Capone's um, uh, uh, time served in jail. Imprisonment. Yeah. But other than that, I, I couldn't tell you, based on this trailer, what the hell was going on other than, okay, Tom Hardy's playing Al Capone. I think it's like the Iron Lady. He's like Tom Hardy playing Al Capone when he's like syphilitically senile. So it's, it's <laughs> kind of like reflecting back on his – not to say Margaret Thatcher had syphilis, but it was senile <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. So um, it's, it's, it's near the end of his life. Uh, Al Capone reflecting on his past. And I think that's the structure. And there's concern that he might be faking his madness to get out of jail early. Um, so, and I bet you they're going to do some kind of ahistorical bullshit where he was faking and maybe he fakes his death or something in uh, Alcatraz and it ends with Al Capone wandering the streets. I don't know, but it seems like that angle because they have the whole FBI. I think he's faking it, you know, so... 
We'll see. But uh, it's telling that they only let him speak once in the trailer with that accent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I love the joke that I put out there, which was, is there any accent that uh, Tom Hardy can't do? And somebody replied, yeah, a normal voice. <laughs> I think it was yeah, a coherent, coherent voice. That's, that's the only one. I, I cannot understand any of his performances. They're just all so muddled, those voices. I don't get I'm what he's trying well, to do. Remember when he used to play British people and like then you yeah. can understand them? Like an infection when you could like make out. You mustn't sentence. be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not saying they're bad performances. Yeah, I think he's very good in something high. like Locke, but I still don't. I'm not able to comprehend every word he's saying. <laughs> the well one happens. trend I I want to see end more than anything is the actor in the most makeup and hair winning awards. I cannot take it anymore i'm so over this the makeup on this makes him look hideous yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word like Twitter the other day yeah so i said um I, I said director i want you to make use prosthetics to make him look like a mobster makeup supervisor a monster you say no 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 a mobster <laughs> oh like frankenstein i, I got you so that, <laughs> That, that's kind of what I got from those images. Of I mean, this makes Johnny Depp as Whitey Bulger and Black Mass look natural. Like, just hideous looking. And and it went to, like, some some bottom-of-the-barrel VOD service who distributed Gotti, too. Yep. But movie pass releases? This was actually supposed to receive a theatrical release this year, uh, but they are releasing it on VOD on May 12th. That means it's horrible. They're, they're trying yeah, to hide so it. so much Josh Trank's big comeback. Exactly. Exactly. I wonder if he's going to include Geraldo Rivera and Al Capone's vault. <laughs> Moving on from that, let's talk about something uh, slightly more positive, unless if you are Michael Schwartz. Uh, this week's poll is asking everyone, uh, because of the trailer that was released this week, uh, what is everyone's favorite Tom Hardy performance? Uh, for Michael, it's the one that you can understand the most. For some of us, uh, it will vary, but I basically listed pretty much almost everything that Tom Hardy's ever been in. On the poll, even Dunkirk. I don't even know why I included Dunkirk. If I'm being completely honest with you all, but I could I could imagine the Nolan fanboys being like, "How dare you not include Dunkirk on there?" So I threw it on there. Speak of that movie, but God, he's good looking. Yeah. Well, let's answer the question then. Uh, favorite Tom Hardy performance. Uh, let's go around. Uh, who wants to start? I'll start. So <laughs> favorite Tom Hardy performance of mine easily is Locke. It's really hard to do a one-man show and hold the audience's attention for the length of a film it's it's really hard and i think that tom hardy did it so so well in that movie and in a car nonetheless in a freaking car so if you all have never seen Locke, i highly recommend checking it out it's a very very uh good drama uh, that's filled with a, a crazy amount of tension for taking place in a single location. And an Olivia Coleman cameo. Ooh. She's the female voice on the phone. Yep. And Andrew Scott and Ruth Wilson and Tom Holland and all these people. It's a very good I movie. Wait, Tom, was Tom Holland his son in that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I had no idea. These are all the voices that he interacts with over uh, the car uh, speaker system. Yeah, it's a great movie, a great screenplay. He's giving a good performance. The only problem is that he sounds like this for the whole movie, and it really isn't very clear. <laughs> He's trying to be Welsh. The concrete. It's like, what? You sound like Charlton Copley in District 9. What are you doing? 
I was going to say Locke, but since Matt's already covered it, um, you enjoy revenge class. Ain't, ain't nothing going to bring you more back. We got to get chaos. We, we did what we had to do. Uh, is, I guess it's Oscar nominated, and we buried him right. It's Oscar nominated turn kind of doing Jeff Bridges' voice from True Grip in The Revenant. Well, perhaps, um, that. That was uh, one of his better accents. I mean, it kind of yeah, worked. You could at least make world. out the words in that one. It wasn't. A- I, my, me and my roommate, we uh, take the line, he buried him right. And we use that with like everything that we do around our apartment. Like, I, I, I made I made this garlic bread. You know, I baked it right. <laughs> you know, like we just say stuff like that all the time in the uh, John Fitzgerald voice. I like his God is squirrel monologue. It was, I think, a very regionally specific accent. So I, I'm not as upset with that one as I am. I don't have as many problems with that one as I, I do with other ones. So so is that your pick, Amanda? Um, yes, only because I, I, I would pick Inception, but I have a problem with the fact that Christopher Nolan always wants to cover up his face. Mm. But he doesn't cover it up in Inception. Yeah, you can I see know. his face in Inception. He's so good looking. clean shaven. I know. I wish we'd see more of that. I, I, I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing about his Inception performance is that it's so loose and unadorned and just... He doesn't even look like he's trying and he's giving the most charismatic performance yeah. of the whole cast. Yeah, he's definitely the scene stealer in that movie for sure. Yeah, I it's amazing. I think my favorite performance of his though like I really like him in Warrior. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that movie's about so that. so underrated. Yeah. Of course Nick Nolte played his father. That just makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, can I give a shout out? Because I don't know if anyone's going to mention this. Can I please give a shout out to The Drop? Yeah. Oh, that was actually a good movie. That was decent. Yeah. I liked that uh, James Gandolfini yeah. in that. And then he actually like adopted the dog from that, didn't he? Yeah. I, I totally forgot about that movie until you mentioned it. And that's one I will go back. I could actually understand him coherently in that movie. Is that, is that your pick then, Michael? No, I still like Lockmore as a movie. So I'll go with that. But uh, fair. You know where else you can understand him coherently is This Means War. Oh, that movie's awful. Didn't though. see it. That's true. <laughs> it is not as bad as people say. You know, no. it got like an any movie directed by someone named Mick G is horrible. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like this means war, like total guilty pleasure. No, it's so. Yeah. It's so yeah. Bad. My mom and I saw it together and she loved it. So um, <laughs> there is an audience for it. Uh, Rebecca, what's yours? Mine's Inception. I think he's super charismatic in it. I think that's like one of the first things I ever saw him in. I mean, I saw him in Marie Antoinette, but it didn't really register that that was him. So for me, Is it's Inception. Who she has sex with? I think that was hey. Jamie Dornan. I think he's just like a soldier, like a random soldier in Marie Antoinette. Oh, and he's in uh, he's in uh, Black Hawk Down randomly, isn't he? He is, but I, I wouldn't say that there's a performance in there necessarily, <laughs> considering that movie employed half of Hollywood at that time. Mm-hmm. Layer Cake. Yeah, Layer Cake. I always forget that he's in Layer Cake. See, I actually also think sh- he was pretty good. So in- Daniel Craig. 
catch my drift. The Dark Knight Rises. As, as I want, <laughs> I would love to say that he's great in Dark Knight Rises, but through, but here's the problem: he is great in Dark Knight Rises. The problem, though, is nothing about him. It's all about how Nolan decided to yeah. mix that voice. Like, how much yeah. of a performance is he actually giving in that movie? We'll never know. Oh, I think that there's a performance there, for sure. It's Once again, I think the issue is that, to Michael's point, you just can't understand anything. You just can't. It's ridiculous. But in any event, though, head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com and cast a vote for your favorite Tom Hardy performance. And Will's got one more he wants to shout out. So what is it, Will? It's actually very naturalistic and good in Tinker Soldier, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. That's what he should do. Play more bricks. And if you all have never seen uh, Bronson, that's an outrageous Tom Hardy performance. That's a lot of fun. His penis is out in it. (laughs) Thank you. There's an audience out there for it. (laughs) Remember when the trailer for Venom dropped and people thought he was doing a Terrence Howard accent? <laughs> Yo, <laughs> no joke. That's not a joke. That's a real, real comparison. <laughs> um, last week's poll, we asked everyone which is their favorite claustrophobic film. All right, we asked that uh, pertaining, obviously, to these quarantine-like uh, times. So we do have a top 10 there uh, voted on by the MVP film community. Uh, let's take a look and see what everyone voted for. Okay, so uh, at number 10 is the horror film The Descent. Mm. Mm, good choice. It's really good. Number nine is arguably Ryan Reynolds' best performance, Buried. Number eight is Ex Machina. Okay. Uh, number seven is Das Boot. Phenomenal. Which I'm a big fan of that film. Yeah. Number six is Gravity. Yeah. Uh, isn't it the opposite of claustrophobic? Yeah, like yeah. she's in all space. <laughs> but it depends on how you want to look at it, you know? I, I I could view that as being trapped in... Yeah, you know... Yeah, maybe not a... Castaway uh, is a really claustrophobic movie, Matt. It kind of is. Well, well I think <laughs> it's about loneliness also. It's not just about being... Um, yeah, but isolated room. is not the same as claustrophobic. It's not like she could go to the supermarket up in space. You know, she has only so many places that she could go. It's not There's a lot has. of social distancing going on in gravity. Let's leave it she at that. She's surrounded okay? by void. Like, <laughs> you could not get any less claustrophobic. Number five is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Number four is misery. Ooh. Is that claustrophobic? I mean, that's not, that's yeah, like I, a, I mean, that for is. James Conn's character, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the winter. Yeah, but that's being held hostage. That's not. There was a loose interpretation with this poll. All right. I said it last week on, on, on the show, but there was uh, a lot of loose interpretation here. So. You get to walk around the house. People were free to vote however they wanted in that regard. Like, for example, our next one here, number three is Room. Yeah, that works. Not the room, just room. Uh, number two is Alien. Good. And number one is 12 Angry Men. Mm, nice. Thank God. The yes. Yes. All right. So uh, that will do it for this week's uh, talk about the polls. Now uh, we are going to have some fun. 
going to play some games, answer some questions from the MVP film community. I want to uh, just say a quick thank you to everyone who continues to uh, submit these to us every week and giving us a lot to talk about. So uh, we really, really appreciate uh, all of the submissions that you guys have put through. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. First question from Isaiah Washington. Who is more likely to get an Oscar nomination first? Michael B. Jordan or Emily Blunt? Michael B. Jordan. I say Michael B. Jordan. I say Emily Blunt. I think Emily Blunt. She's... She was runner-up probably four times and won a SAG. I think Michael B. Jordan's career tra- trajectory has him on the path, though, to getting a nomination, like, at least within the next one or two years, for sure. I think Blunt does, too. Like, Michael B. Jordan, isn't he He's doing, like, a franchise action movie this year? And then I think he's, he's going to try his hand at directing a kid's movie. So, I mean, he could do it, but I think what he's choosing to do instead are maybe things that are not going to get him that nomination is soon. And then like, so I, I I would think he could be in that position, but based on what I've seen him choosing, I'm not sure. Whereas Blunt, I think is Oscar hungry and is really other than the quiet place, which when she came close with the quiet place one, other than that, I mean, I, I think she's basically just choosing Oscar bait roles for a bit. I don't think she is though. I, I, I think he's just, I, I don't see anything that, really screams that she's going to like try her hand at something serious. Scott Kernan asks, what is the most evident time? Okay. When a film received a lone best picture or best director nomination, and it was better than one or more of the films that got into the best picture category. Right. When you say lone best picture, you mean a movie that didn't get nominated for anything else? No, I think they're no. mentioning it was missing the corresponding director nomination. So you know what I'm going to do to simplify this? Because there's a lot of those in the preferential era. Lord. I'm going to take Scott's <laughs> question and I'm going to just twist it ever so slightly here. Let's just use all of Oscar history and take a look at lone director nominations. Okay. So director nomination for a movie, but no best picture nomination. David Lynch, Mulholland Drive. <coughs> and, uh, and, and Dan would argue that Mulholland Drive is better than the best picture contenders that were nominated that year. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about one of them earlier today, the year before. I mean, I think we would say that Billy Elliot is hands down better than Chocolat. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree but with are that. Are we talking yeah. about better than the whole category or better than? Uh, better than one or more. Better than one or more is the way that the question is phrased. Okay. okay. United 93, 2006 is better than oh, probably. Agreed. Several yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Bennett Miller, Foxcatcher. Oh, yeah. Better than half of that lineup. Uh, I completely agree with that. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, Diving Belt, well, actually, 2007 is an amazing year, so I won't say that. Yeah, that's a tough uh, one. Vera Drake. Mm. Vera Drake yeah, is a better than yeah, a couple of them. City of God, amazing. So, uh, well, for City of God, I would 
It's better than huh. Seabiscuit. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. better than Seabiscuit. Probably better than Mystic River, too. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, let's, let's, let's not piss off everybody. Yeah, Mystic River's great. Seabiscuit's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> better, though. Okay. Uh, River's, uh, River's pretty damn good. Oh, uh, I, I have to ask this question just to stir the pot and just piss more people off, uh, even though he already asked one. Uh, Isaiah Washington, once again, one's got to go, Pixar edition. <laughs> one's got to go, people. Wally, Inside Out, Ratatouille, you're up. Which one are you giving up? Oh, God. I'm going with Inside Out. I, I inside out, out. Oh, oh. I'm not going to eat. Come on, Amanda. Nope. Nope. I gotta say, Wally. <gasps> oh, fuck, Dan. I. It's a real Sophie's choice here, people. It, it, it is a real <laughs> Sophie's choice, but like, Up makes me cry buckets. I think Ratatouille is perfect, and Inside Out is even more clever than Wally is. So, process of elimination. But Wally's pure cinema. It's like visual storytelling. It doesn't oh, need to rely on, on any of them are it, pure cinema. Like yeah, Wally has Hello Dolly in it. I think yeah, when, was, when uh, Sergei Eisenstein really started pioneering the medium, he and uh, F.W. Murnau envisioned the future of cinema. They envisioned Wally. <laughs> I mean, if you're saying that it should have been in the best picture lineup in 2008, you're absolutely correct. Okay, <laughs> next question from at Josh from Indy. Since we're watching movies at home nowadays, what kind of TV setups do you guys have? And are you doing anything to make the at-home theater experience, I'm sorry, the at-home experience feel more like going to the theater? Nope. Nope. Man, I, I, uh, (laughs) not only do I put on motion smoothing, I bump it up so it always looks like it's 120 FPS. Fuck you, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Everything looks like a soap opera. (laughs) Um, I will say, okay, so as people probably can imagine, I I take at-home theater setups very, very seriously. I have a 65-inch 4K. Um, We're actually mounting it today, which I'm really excited about. Uh, But one thing that my roommate (laughs) suggested to me the other day was he was like, I want to get these hue lights to put behind a TV so we could have like a blue or a red or a green light. And I was like, no, no, and no. Absolutely not. I was like, pure blackness, nothing else. I will not accept any kind of surrounding lights around my TV set. You're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> um, so that's my way of trying to replicate the uh, cinema experience. Put up an exit sign so it looks like a movie theater. There you go. That would be good. <laughs> I like to um, to really make it like the theater experience. I like to have on a timer randomized just like one of those radio recordings of a baby crying that they play sometimes is like a dj thing okay well yeah and occasionally i'll ask a family member to walk into my room and just check the theater and make sure everything's okay all right guys this one comes from at crazy martin 434 um if you were in charge of an oscars ceremony how would you coordinate and set it up would you include the songs portion? Would you have a host? What kind of montages, presenters would you like to make the best ceremony possible? This is nothing to do with what's going on with COVID-19 this year. This is a general question. I would hire someone who understands the actors that are work who work there and make sure that the seating works in a way that will get you more traction on the internet. Because I feel like they miss opportunities every year to like get good reactions. Like why not have Alice and Janney, for example, 
sit next to Aaron Sorkin. So when she wins, Aaron Sorkin gives her this big hug and it's hashtag West Wing reunion or something. Uh, that's mm. one of the things I think they missed the opportunity on. Also with presenters, like you have Amelia Clark and Jason Moa. Why not? Why not have a, a reunion of, of their characters? Like they miss opportunities every year. So they need to hire someone who's a consultant who understands like six degrees of separation, how these people are connected. So we get those kind of really good moments. That's an outside the box reply. I really, really like that yeah, a lot, that, actually. That's good. So one thing they did this year that I thought was a nice change to cut out some wasted time, and nobody really talked about it, but I thought it was a nice way to make the show move faster. They stopped doing mid-show presentations of all the best picture nominees. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's oh, so much time. Thank you. And, you know, like I, w- I was always annoyed whenever they would do that during the show. It's like I already know what the best picture nominees are. I don't need it to eat up its entire, you know, 10 minutes or five minutes of presentation time. Especially Golden Globes do it, too. Yeah, yeah, all the award shows would, would do it. And um, this year they cut it out and they just had a nice montage of all nine Best Picture nominees. It was uh, great. Right before the, they announced it. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, I, so I agree. Time. That was the right way to go. It was a good uh, way to cut on time. But I do miss the moment where Terrence Howard talked about the imitation <laughs> game and it brought him to tears. I'm just blown away right <laughs> I think that was Whiplash that brought him to tears. No, it was no, the imitation game. game. <laughs> no, I no, yeah. We all thought it was going to be Selma because it was like the only movie that they hadn't talked about yet. And he goes, this film changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. I also was a big fan last year of the montage of the acting performances. I know, I know that got a mixed reaction from people. Me personally, I liked seeing not just one Oscar clip of someone's performance and then moving on to the next actor, but I liked seeing multiple clips of an actor's performance and it kind of coupled together with the other nominees in a singular video. I really, really enjoyed that a lot. They interacted well together. I think the way they cut them together was really well. They, they, yeah. As like the, the clips, they interacted really great. And as far as the songs go, because I know this gets brought up every year, um, personally, I would always try to find a way to do some sort of a medley of the songs in just one segment, if possible. Um, I, I, I do agree that the songs break up the show nicely, but to cut down on time, I would do the songs in one segment, if possible. Sometimes it works, sometimes they did it in 2008. They did Down to the Ground and Jai Ho mashup. Didn't really work. Yeah, that, that didn't work. But, you know, there are times if if it can work, it's good to explore. But if you know that it's not even going to come together, don't even bother. So are, are you telling me you don't like the idea of uh, what? what is the Chicago original song? I move the on. Movie? I move on and lose yourself. Do you not see the potential there putting yeah. them together? <laughs> What about the interpretative dance here? You all remember that? The Hurt Locker yes. interpretative dance. Yeah. <laughs> no, the 2006 interpretative dance too, right? With uh, They were doing all the shapes like snakes in a plane. Oh, yeah. God, the one for Crash. That one was out of this world. <laughs> one of the things that I remember, because I first got into this, obviously, uh, in the 90s, was that like the songs were really important because it got me into the Oscars. 
Like mm-hmm. if you kind of out, you're you're kind of maybe you know we're gonna lose the next one of us maybe. Yeah, I don't like the idea of taking them away. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of them taking it away. I just wish there was a way it could be streamlined a little bit more. Is all. Uh, all right, let's play a game. Love games. Oh God. I'd like to play a game. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray. Right. Lovely. We got a lot of suggestions. I I think people are really enjoying this segment of the show a lot. Uh, This kind of started with Ethan May at Movie Fanatic 200. And he's got a new game for us this week. He's asking from a list that he's provided us. To choose what movie that person should have won an Oscar for but by saying that movie you then have to realize that you're going to replace whoever did win the Oscar for that year oh god okay you all so for example he says Tom Cruise now we're all going to pick a Tom Cruise performance we think he should have won the Oscar for but just realize that by doing so you are admitting that you would take the Oscar away from the person that did win that year Oh, okay. It's not hard because that's Michael Caine. Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia. See, an easy one. Do we have to assign them an Oscar, or is it only if we think they're worthy? Yes, yes. Okay. So I'm going with Tom Cruise for Magnolia. Michael Caine already has one. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, it's not our fault you didn't show up to the ceremony. Yeah. I'm going with Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire over uh, Jeffrey Rush and Shine. Ooh, okay. No, I don't like that. Because I love so okay, you do that. Jeffrey Rush ends up getting nominated and maybe winning in 2005 from Munich. No, No, he probably wins for the King's King's speech. speech. Yeah, oh, no, 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 no. What about him winning for Quills? Yeah, yeah, he probably would have won over Crow that year. We're not doing revisionist history for subsequent years, FYI, but it's a a good exercise, regardless. Next one, (laughs) Bill Murray. No. Yeah. No, you got to pick. You got to pick something. I wouldn't give him. I wouldn't give him an Oscar. You got to pick yeah, something. I would give it to him for Lost in Translation over Sean Penn, who has two and is kind of a dick. I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that. No, I can't do it. If can't knowing it. that Sean Penn's going to win a second it. one from Milk later, and what I personally think is a superior performance, yeah, I, I could easily make that compromise. Oh wait, no, that so, even though I prefer the Mist River year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that then. Yes, yes. I do think Sean Penn deserves two, though. I don't take away his Oscar for those. Do these have to be nominated performances, or can it be? No, no. Or it could be anything. So we could do, like, Rushmore. Uh, But by doing so in 1998, right? 98? 98. Yeah, then you're taking away the Oscar from... um, James Coburn. Yes, for Affliction. I'm fine with that. That's yeah, actually, yeah, I can live with that. I, I would do that and then have Sean Penn keep both Oscars. Sorry, James Coburn. Next up on the list here, Samuel L. Jackson. Django Unchained over Christoph Waltz, easily. Bingo. Yeah. Everyone's going to say Pulp Fiction, yeah. but Bingo. that's the one. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. He's so good in that. Like, he's the MVP of that movie. If, if oh, by Quentin far. Tarantino's only making one more movie, I really hope he brings back Samuel Jackson and he gives him the role that wins him an Oscar. Yes! That'd Thank you, Amanda. Yeah. Totally agreed. Yeah. Let's do an actress. Come on. Uh, these are the ones that he submitted. So, uh, next up on the list here, uh, Christopher Nolan. Inception. 
for screenplay or director? Oh God, what what what, what film won director that year? Remind me, Tom, Tom Hooper. Hooper. Oh yeah, there you go. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. but David he Fincher should have won that. Obviously, David Fincher should have won that. But I'm giving uh, Nolan screenplay from Memento over uh, Gosford Park. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly what I would do too. And I love Gosford Park, but Memento is a whole other level. Yeah, it is pretty ingenious. See, I only like two Christopher Nolan movies, and I prefer who won the Oscars those years. So, Kill your darlings, Michael. Well, I'm not taking away Guillermo's Oscar in 2017. That's not happening. Well, what if you, what if you, what if you kept the best picture win but took away the director win? No, I love the director win. Well, you got to choose something. In yeah, 2008, The Dark Knight, which I do like. He doesn't even make my lineup for The Dark Knight. So I don't want to take it away from Danny Boyle. Could I just give him like an indie spirit for following? No, play the game, Michael. Uh, I'm going to make you do this. This is painful. This is very, very painful. I had to give you an know Oscar what? to Bill Murray. Come on. Okay, even though I would never even fathom doing this for the sake of the game, what we're going to do is we're going to take away the best picture win for Crash and give it to Batman Begins that year because that's my only out here. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I, I can work with that. And that's pretty like funny. Batman Begins that <laughs> much, but that's my only answer it, here. Could you guys imagine if Batman Begins just won Best Picture and nothing else? <laughs> yeah, cinematography nominee in Best Picture. <laughs> uh, speaking of cinematography, last one on the list that he provided, Edward Lockman. Cinematographer. Oh, that's easy. Carol. Yeah. Actresses the next time oh. you send in a list. Mm-hmm. This is a little on the sexist side. Yeah, agreed. I don't think I could do it for Carol, though, because Mad Max. The Revenant. Yeah, Mad Max should have won over The Revenant. Mm. <laughs> no. Mad Max didn't win. The Revenant won. Yeah, no. that's all right, because uh, what uh, he already had two Oscars at that time, so let's go ahead and... And he was uh, never heard say, from again. It's pretty weird. Shivo just disappeared. He took some time off. He'll be back. I think the Revenant broke him. <laughs> I can't choose Far From Heaven over Road to Perdition. I agree. So, yeah, I actually... I could... Chicago. Oh, wait. We, I can't. Uh, uh, Perdition won. I'm getting this game all mixed up. I'm thinking about what I would want to win. Can we play Meryl Streep? I'm just wait, yeah, wait. but she's won three. Or, I know. I mean, I'm that, sorry. I meant... Yeah, Viola Davis. Well, Vi- Viola's already won as well. Okay. I know, but I know whose Oscar I would take from her. I would give to her. What about if we did? Okay, stop. Let's back up. Let's back up. Wait, we're still talking about Ed Lockman. No, how about this? <laughs> how about this? Answer to Ed Lockman, and then I'll name some female people. I might give it to him for Virgin Suicides. That's what I was thinking, too. Ooh, that's Over a good I'd give it. But that's the thing, like, overcrouching tiger. I'm like, uh, no, wrong year. Virgin Suicides is 99. Yeah, I was going to say, different year. That would be over American Beauty. Yeah. Oh, then in that case, that. yes, definitely. Yeah, I can yeah. live with that. Yeah, because he's going to win, like, a couple years later for Road Perdition anyway. All right, let's do, uh, let's do, let's do an easy one here. Uh, Amy Adams. I'm giving it to her for Enchanted over Marion yeah. Cotillard, who was wonderful, but Enchanted is Amy Adams' best performance, and she should have been nominated and won for that. Amen. Um, I'm going to go with Amy Adams in 2013 over Lupita Nyong'o, who I hope then would subsequently get more support for us. You know what? I'm going to give it to her for Arrival over Emma Stone. I can do it. Will, are you putting Amy Adams in supporting for American Hustle? No, Amy Adams and her. That's one of my favorite performances of her. It's so natural. She is really good in her. Yeah. I loved her in Arrival, and she was the only... It was the only film nominated that year that had 
a true female lead, and I think she should have won because she was amazing in that movie. I easily would. And give you it already to said her. Enchanted, so I would easily give it to her for June Bug over Rachel Wise. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Um, yep. Who won the year when Interview of the Vampire came out? That was ninety four. So that was uh, Jessica Lange was lead. No, but she no, was supporting support. for that. She was. Oh, then it was Diane Weist. Yes, Diane. Yeah, Weist. Diane Weist already had Which, an Oscar. So yeah, can't. But uh, but Diane Weist and bullets is so. Freaking I know. Brilliant. I know. How about how about we get rid of Meryl Streep for the Iron Lady and we give it to Dunst for Melancholia? Melancholia. No. That's an easy yeah, easy call for say, me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very okay with that. I'm taking it away from Hillary Swank in 1999 and giving it to her for Dick. <laughs> Greta. Thunberg. Oh, come on. You know um, what I'm saying. Bump Viola to lead and then give it to Greta for supporting for 20th century women. That's too complicated. Ooh, that's interesting. I mean, Viola should and could have gone lead ultimately that year. She, they were just afraid of Natalie Portman, who never really took off. I mean, she's clearly a co-lead in Fences, and she you probably know, would have won. Just because I defended the Guillermo del Toro win in 2017, and I love that it happened, my personal choice would be Greta Gerwig for Best Director. <gasps> Ooh. Mm-hmm. What? I'll give her what? Best Screenplay. I, I really loved the screenplay of, of uh, Lady Bird. I thought it was a beautiful representation of, and a realistic yeah. representation of a mother-daughter relationship. I can't. That is one of the toughest calls I've ever had to make. That I have to take away Jordan Peele's, and I can't do that. God damn this is hard. I, I really, really love that uh, Taika Waititi is an Oscar winner, but I still would uh, choose uh, Little Women for Adapted. Yeah. What, uh, what year was Francis Ha Oscar eligible? 2013. 13. It was 14. No, it was 13. It premiered at the 2012 Telluride Film Festival and opened in May 2013. It was the year of gravity and everything and 12 uh, Years a Slave. Because I would think, oh, that's Cape Blanchett, so no, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, last one, Annette Bening. Oh, that's a good one. American being Beauty. Julia. Being Julia. Yeah, being Julia. That's her best yeah. performance. See, I don't like being, being Julia. Julia. Over, over Million oh, Dollar no. Baby. Yeah, easy. Uh, and I love Million Dollar Baby. That's the other thing. Let's see. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the uh, the first time around uh, with American Beauty over Swank. Yeah, I I'm agree. gonna say. Yeah. The only problem that poses no. is if I give it to her for American Beauty over Hillary Swank, I just said I would give it to Kristen Dunst over Hillary Swank that same year. So how does that impact the last question? Well, it worked out with um, Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand just split it. <laughs> yes, I know Benning should have won that year, and she should have been nominated for 20th Century Women. And yeah, she deserves a lot more than just those handful of nominations. She needs to go supporting again. She needs to go supporting again because she would actually have a chance at winning. <laughs> Tell that to the report. Yeah, should. Ah. Well, they should have her into supporting for uh, "Kids Are All Right" and stuck Julianne as the sole lead. That's that's actually what I would do. I, honestly, I think that since Julianne Moore's character drives a little bit more of the action of the film, I would put her in supporting, and she would have won supporting actress over Melissa Leo easily. You know, she did yeah. have a supporting role in a movie called Rules Don't Apply that a few of you may have heard of. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. The movie Stop. sucks. Stop. Daniel B. at Film and Sports 21 asks us to remove a Best Picture nominee and replace with a different film from that year. 1994. Best Picture nominees are Forrest Gump, 
Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. Remove one. I'm taking out Four Weddings and a Funeral. What are you putting in? Maybe The Lion King. Yo, I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Okay, I'm taking out Shawshank. What the fuck? Taking out Shawshank and replacing it with uh, Muriel's Wedding. God. I'm taking out four weddings and a funeral and replacing it with The Lion King. (sighs) This disrespect to British comedy, y'all. Not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm taking out four weddings and I'm replacing it with Ed Wood. Ooh. Ed Wood is interesting. Ed Wood would be a good choice. Amanda, did you say yours? Yeah, I, I agree with The Lion King. Okay. And then 2011, a preferential year. Nominees were The Artist, The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. Well, I can't imagine what everyone is going to get rid of from this year. It, it could be anything. Uh, <laughs> I actually like that movie, Will. Really? Would you keep it? I'm looking through the lineup. Let's see. Well, while Michael's debating, and this is no debate at all, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close gets taken out for uh, Drive for me. Yeah. Uh, maybe, <laughs> was this uh, Bridesmaids here? I'm trying to remember. Yes, it was. Yes, yes it yeah, was. I, would, I would take, I would put in Bridesmaids and take out the artist, actually. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What? I don't like that movie. I just, like, that was such a left field turn because I, I I think we all assumed that everyone would say Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close and you went with the Best Picture winner. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that movie. I don't blame you. Okay, I will take out Extremely Loud even though I really do like it and I'm going to replace it with Bridesmaids. I take out The Descendants and replace it with Melancholia. Ooh. That just makes me sad for so many reasons. Yeah. The Descendants is crap. It is oh one of the best God. ones of the decade. The past <laughs> that screenplay win of Moneyball is bullshit. No, I agree. Complete and utter bullshit. That is the laziest piece of shit screenplay. Moneyball should have won film editing, and that could have been its win. Uh, who's left? Uh, I guess me. So I am going to take out. This was tough. I would have probably said drive, but you know what, Matt? Um, I'm going to take out Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close and replace it with Warrior, which I love. All right. Last question. This one comes from A Twist of Oliver. How Oscar history would have changed if X won over Y? For example, how would Oscar history have changed if Meryl Streep won Best Actress for The Devil Wears Prada? Okay, that's interesting. That performance he actually deserved to win for then Viola won. Viola for... wins 2011. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, who does Michelle Williams win supporting for Manchester? No, yeah. I think Viola that... still wins. Naomi Harris wins for for Moonlight. Moonlight. Instead, I think, no, I I like think Viola, Viola still wins, and she's a two time Oscar winner. I think well, she performed so. I think she goes lead because she went supporting because she wanted to win. You know, no, but, like. She... But she could have won supporting still, even if she, because that category was yeah. so. Yeah. 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 But I think she might have just gone lead in the first place. You know, she went supporting because she so, she, they didn't want to go up against Natalie Portman and Jackie, who ended up 
not being a thing. Remember, there was like back and forth for months. Like, oh, is she going mm-hmm. lead? Is she going supporting? And there was all this conflicting. I think she would have just gone lead. It's the natural play. She might have still won over Emma Stone. But then I, I think supporting would have opened up. The, the thing, though, that you're all not mentioning, though, is that if Bell Streep wins for the Devil Wears Prada in 2006, does Helen Mirren win at another time? No, because no, the only no, other opportunity yeah. would have been the last station. She unless the other she day, just wanted yeah. to keep Unless she stopped doing like some of these, you know, lazy movies and picked more Oscar Beatty roles, and then yeah, I think she would have done in the later years. No, you know, you yeah, know what possible. happens is that she wins. I feel like she weirdly contends in 2015 for Trumbo, and it's one of those 1990s style career wins. Because remember, she got BAFTA, SAG, and Golden Globe supporting nominations for playing a Hollywood icon, Hedda Hopper, in Trumbo. And it's not like anyone was especially passionate about Alicia Vikander. Trumbo had SAG Ensemble, Writers Guild, and had Cranston in there. She was very close to nomination. I think there would have been a much bigger push to make her win by then. And it would have been absurd, but who cared about Alicia Vikander and the Danish girl? Yeah, I think she went. Yeah. A lot of people did, surprisingly. Like She would have at least gotten the nomination. I agree with you there. Yeah, I could have lived with Alicia Vikander not winning, so I'm fine with that reality. Uh, the other example that was given, and this is our last one for today. How would Oscar history have changed if Russell Crowe would have went back to back and still won for A Beautiful Mind? Never would have. Denzel happened. then would have won in 2016 over Casey Affleck. Hands down, he was close as was. Yeah. I don't think Jamie Foxx or Forrest Whitaker would have won before him. Ooh. Yeah, but what 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 Denzel performance in between then? Yeah, yeah. I, I but I think you were forgetting about the larger African American actor at the whole because Denzel Washington had been trying to win and trying and trying and trying to be the first black actor to win that category before, since Sidney Poitier won. I don't think they would have given that best actor to Jamie Fox before they would have given it to Denzel Washington. So you're taking away two Oscar. Yeah, it wasn't I, I the first ever. It was the first since, and I don't think. I yeah, I, I don't know. I think there would have been a conversation about: Do we really want it to be Jamie Fox? Well, if it wasn't Jamie, I think. Forrest but it would have been a huge moment anyway. So I think, yeah. But in between, then the movies that you have to choose from then with Denzel are John Q, Antoine Fisher, Out of Time, Man on Fire, The Manchurian Candidate, and that's it. Yeah, there's no other opportunity. I don't, I, I, he, yes, he was trying and he was trying very specifically that year to do it. And if for some reason he didn't get it, then I think people would have been like, okay, now we got to get one for someone else if he could do it. And I think those other ways would remain the same. And Amanda, if it wasn't Jamie Foxx, Russell Crowe was never going to win that second Oscar because they only award. Second, they only, if you look at the people who've won Oscars back to back, they all have one thing in common and it's U.S. citizenship. Yeah, but he was so close. Like he had everything. He He won everything that year. I get it that he was close, but you can say what you want about what happened. But if you look at it, there's all there's one thing that all of those people have in common, and it's U.S. The, citizenship. But, but let's let's not avoid the reality, though. Regardless of that unique coincidence, the reality of why Crussell up uh, Crussell the re, the reality why Russell Crowe did not win for A Beautiful Mind is because he threw a phone at someone at the BAFTA Awards. No, no, no. He tried to choke him, and then he threw a phone right before Cinderella Man, and that cost him the nomination. Oh, sorry. Yes, I got I got my history mixed up there. You're right. 
Yeah, one of his asshole things led to another asshole. Thing. We get it, but um, yeah. But if he had, but if he had won, though, I still think Russell Crowe's career trajectory would still have been the exact same as it has been. Oh yeah. I don't think anything would have changed for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I agree. Because that incident would still have happened, and it still would have followed him, and he still would have had this reputation, and I think he would end up in the exact same position that he is now. Is there any way we could un? put him in Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's so bad in that movie. Oh my god. Alright, that'll do it here for this week. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for the questions and the games that you all submitted. We really, really appreciate it and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and we really, really encourage you guys to keep submitting them each week as you give us something more to do. Will, thank you so much for being back on the show again. Your presence has been greatly missed. Where can everyone find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Michael? On Twitter at mschwartz95. Amanda? Um, at Miss Amanda Spears on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are able to donate blood, please, please do it. Yeah. I'm alive because I had six blood transfusions, so I know how important it is. It's something most people can do. Rebecca? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RebeccaDaniel95. Dan Bear? And you can find me on Twitter at DanceDan on film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 190 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. As mentioned before, we did a series review of Mrs. America, which we will be continuing. Uh, we also have our 2014 retrospective which kicked off with Selma and continues this week with Ida and Foxcatcher uh, towards the end of the month so if you want to get all that exclusive podcast content head on over to Patreon and subscribe there. Thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time.